We find the party standing outside of the central encampment, our heroes training and relaxing until they were to meet Master Leanda at noon outside of the ruined temple. The plucky Mariposa tends to the light bruises Chet and Corrin sustained while sparring. Deep in a meditation, Roshi again finds himself struck by the visions depicting the crumbling statue of a woman. He is jostled from these visions when a loud bell tolls throughout the camp, signaling an emergency. Han, a young white lotus sentry, runs down from the camp to alert the masters and the initiates that there's been an incident at the medical tent. Sita has been found unconscious, while Riki and Patty are missing. Before they can even act, Master Baquan and Master Yuren bicker about what to do next. As the masters direct nearby sentries to take action, they instruct the initiates to remain within the camp until the others are found. Knowing something feels wrong, the party trails behind Han and the masters as they head toward Sita's medical tent, where Han takes guard as the two masters enter. Seeing no way inside, Mariposa cleverly and discreetly uses her airbending to blow away Han's cloak, inducing him to run after it. Both Corin and Mariposa seize this opportunity to bolt inside of the medical tent, leaving Chet and Roshi to walk around the back. There, Roshi earthbends a small listening hole beneath the tent's tarp. From inside the tent, all three masters are in a heated discussion about who's responsible and where their priorities lie. Master Yuren again voices his concerns about their presence on the island. This whole island operation is off. None of this feels right. The Order of the White Lotus should not have come here. Regardless, we must find the culprits responsible. Your trepidation is noted, Master Yuren, but I agree with Master Bakwan. The White Lotus has the power and the influence the world needs to offer the solutions the Avatar chooses to ignore. The party continues to eavesdrop, learning that the true purpose to coming to Stone Moss Isle was not just to initiate promising recruits, but to investigate the temple structure found here. Soon after, they reconvene to discuss what they remember about the traumatized Riki and the forgetful Patty. Gorin informs his friends that he met and spoke with Patty and Sita, who had charged him with finding one of her medical bags lost by Patty. In preparation, Roshi meets up with the burly Chezo, chef and quartermaster of this White Lotus post, who chides him and offers him the requested torch oil without question. Geared up, the party sets out for the pool described by Corin. After some time zigzagging down the vertical cliffside, they come upon an unnaturally shaped and shallow pool of water. Hermit crabs scuttle about, and further investigation leads them to discover a narrow crevice through which they can squeeze. Inside they find a small shoe, but when they light a torch, they're greeted with an unexpected sight. Crawling along the walls, corners, and ceiling of the crevice, the party spots dozens of crustacean-like critters, their segmented legs clattering to carry their cloud-like bodies along as they chitter amongst themselves. Using her quick thinking and trusty bug-poking stick, Mariposa attempts to gently prod one of the many twig and debris nests plastered along the cavern wall. She informs the party that these creatures are none other than the cotton mite, a communal insect-like creature named for the cotton-like hairs of its soft body. However, her enthusiasm resulted in a few broken eggs and dozens of angry bugs. The party fights their way deeper into this crevice, ultimately deterring the numerous cotton mites with scraps of food and the fire from their torches. To their surprise, they find the cavern corridor widening the deeper they go. The asymmetrical walls and ceiling around them shift 
from their wind and water-shaped irregularity into a more defined and rigid pattern. Stony protrusions litter the widening pathway, appearing like hexagonal towers from the ground. Finally, the corridor opens up into a wide cavern with a high ceiling, its six walls forming the space. Corin is the first to spot a stark discoloration of the earth in the center of the room, pointing out the irregularity to the others gawking at the seemingly unnatural cavern space. Chet managed to find the leather rucksack in a cotton mite nest near the back of the room containing the contents that Sita had described, and decided to run back to camp immediately to bring the supplies back to her. Through great strain, Roshi was able to use his earthbending to sift the sands away from the discolored spot, mirroring the fluid motions of a waterbender. Beneath the layers of fine dust and sand, the party discovers that the stone floor of the cavern space is hewn. The large square in the ground is discolored, and despite his best earthbending efforts, Roshi is completely unable to budge the rock. After a brief discussion between the remaining three of them, Mariposa suggests heading back to camp and using her airbending to help Roshi cover up the stone. They cautiously exit the cavern, careful not to disturb the nesting cotton mites on their way out. But when they reach the cove and its pool, Roshi is once again struck by an unexpected vision of a stony woman's face. This time, however, he hears an unknown voice. Yet he does not share this information with his friends, who remain none the wiser to his episode. When they zigzag back to the top of the bluffs, the party realizes it's midday and that they're late for their second initiation rite. While Corin and Mariposa run for the temple, Roshi sprints back to camp to find Chet who has been lounging in his tent after dropping off Sita's bag. They collect themselves at the temple where they find Master Leanda waiting patiently for the initiates to gather. The dilapidated structure looms over them, despite its weathered face and crumbling edges. They step inside following Master Leander's invitation, where they're met by natural overgrowth and swollen vines. In the center of a vast, sunlit room stand five altars, one for each element, and a fifth pedestal atop which sits a globe representation of the world. The initiates soaked it all in, standing in awe of the temple space. Mariposa is overcome with wonder when she sees the stone reliefs all along the wall, telling a pictographic story about the Avatar. Master Leander offered another impassioned speech as the initiates took in their surroundings. The Order of the White Lotus encompasses ancient tradition, encouraging its members to transcend national and cultural boundaries as citizens of the world. Before you are the altars of your heritage. You must kneel beneath that which defines you. One by one, the initiates shuffled toward the center of the room, kneeling before their altars, while many of them, including Corin and Mariposa, knelt before the central world altar, Roshi and Chet found themselves drawn to the familiar etchings of the earth altar where they knelt. Master Leander's voice echoed throughout the battered temple room when suddenly dark tendrils erupted from the statue, flinging several of the initiates and catching the rest off guard. Another trial, another dark spirit tribulation.
You're listening to a channel where a bunch of nerds who really love Avatar sit around and roleplay in that diverse and fantastic world. And no, I'm not talking about blue people and floating islands. I'm talking about martial artists who can wield the elements to literally shape the world around them. Build fantastic structures, achieve amazing feats, help each other, or help themselves. There's no shortage of actual play podcasts out there, but only ours is going to scratch that itch that you have for dice rolling and tear bending. <laughs>